0: I'm Pastor Eric. I'm the children's pastor. Uh, It is my joy and my privilege to be here this morning to preach. Uh, and I'm excited because we are beginning a new series uh, for the summer. We are going to be in the book of Jonah. and I got a lot to say about Jonah. But before we do that, I thought I would share with you a little experience, my first um, taste of Edmonds. And I say that it wasn't actually at the taste of Edmonds. Um, it was uh, at a park in Edmonds. Now, Edmonds is filled with beautiful parks. Am I right there? Am I right there? I love it. Uh, And one of the parks in the Edmonds area is Meadowdale Beach Park. How many of you have been to Meadowdale Beach Park? It's a beautiful park down on the water right by the train tracks. It's gorgeous. However, most of us who live in Edmonds know that to get to Meadowdale Beach, what do you have to do? You have to, someone said walk. No, you do not walk there. You hike there, okay? And there's a difference. It's a mile down a hill and then a mile back up to get back. However, I discovered a different way to get there. About ten years ago, I was with a friend, and this friend will go unnamed. Um, and uh, we were living life large, and we had scooters, and we were just scooting around exploring Edmonds. And let me tell you, it was exciting, it was fun. And my friend said, "Hey, hey, hey! I discovered this great park. I got to take you there." And he's like, "So normally to get there, you have to like hike a mile, but I found this back way in. Now, do any of you know this back way in? Okay." What kind? What vehicles can go back there? Only handicapped vehicles—vehicles vehicles that have people who are handicapped. All right, but when you're on a, sco- a scooter, rules don't apply, right? mm So we're driving, right? We're going zing, 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 okay? And we get, and, and we see this sign, and, and there's a bar in front of the entryway, and it says, no access. And I'm like honking the horn on my scooter, I'm like, me, me, me. My, my friend's just like, come on, we're going anyways. And so we go right through, and we go down the windy road, and there it is, the handicapped parking. But again, we're on scooters, right? So we just, we don't park in the handicap spots. That would be wrong. So we just park a little bit, you know, uh, north of the spots, off the trail. Look around. eh, Looks pretty good. And then we walk maybe 100 yards to enjoy the beautiful Meadowdale Beach. And it was great until we came back to our scooters. And as we are walking back to our scooters, they're livid. I mean, just mad was the park ranger. Now, I do not like confrontation, okay? And so I see this from a distance, and I tell my friend, let's just wait over here. And we're just going to let that park ranger do what he wants to do. Well, that park ranger wasn't moving. He was waiting there. And so we find, my, my friend's just like, just come on. It's okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll handle this. I'll handle this. And so we go over there and the park ranger lit into us. I was speechless. And if you know me, that is, that doesn't happen. Okay. I was just like frozen and I couldn't believe it. And he's just going off right. And, but do you know what ended up happening? He had, he had the, the right to, to write a ticket. But he ended up giving us a warning. After all of that, I had a ticket with a lot of angry scribbles and a warning. I could not believe it. I was still shell-shocked for like the rest of the day. But I had in my hand a warning, not an actual ticket. That morning, that day, I had experienced mercy like I had never experienced it before. And I couldn't believe it. Now I want to fast forward a few years later to another beautiful Edmonds Beach, and it is Marina Beach. We've all been to Marina Beach out there, and it's beautiful, and then you've got the dog park. Well, everything about Marina Beach is beautiful, except on the summer, sunny summer days, which are not existent right now, Uh, when you go there. And the parking is full, and it's crazy. Have you ever tried finding parking at Marina Beach on the weekend on a sunny day? It's impossible. And so what do I do? I will I try to be kind, and I'll drive, and I'll go by right by near where there's this dog park area, and there's turnaround, right? No parking, right? You don't park in that. It's just a load, unload, drop people off. So I drive up and I get out and one day I'm letting my family out. And do you know what I see? I see a car parked where it's not supposed to be parked. How dare they? And I just get so angry and in myself, my, like, I'm getting angry and frustrated. I'm like, how can a person dare park there? And do you know what I wanted to happen? I wanted a police officer or maybe a park ranger to come and give them a ticket. Do you see the irony in that story there? We're really excited and happy and willing to receive mercy, but we're not as ready to show mercy. I share that story knowing full well that everyone in here can relate in some degree or fashion. Maybe you didn't ride a scooter down to Meadowdale Beach, I don't recommend it, but There have been times where I'm sure you have been the recipient of mercy and were thankful. But there have probably also been times where you might have been able to show mercy, but you didn't want to show it. Well, that ties in with the book of Jonah. Jonah is all about mercy, more specifically, God's mercy. And and we get to see what a merciful God does. But we also get to see what a merciless prophet does. And we get to look at ourselves through this story. Now, as we look into Jonah, what is the first thing that you think of when you hear Jonah? Go ahead, just shout it out. Alright, whale. Maybe you said, if some of you are like, I'm a scholar, I say fish. It doesn't say a whale. It's like, okay, whatever. Big fish, big whale. Okay, some of you might be thinking pirates. We are the pirates who don't do anything. Alright, that's a little, probably probably shouldn't have gone there. Alright, the tail version of Jonah. The idea is, but like you said, when we think of Jonah, we immediately go to a big fish. We go to a whale, a man who gets swallowed by a whale. And, you know, for that reason, unfortunately, the true message of Jonah gets swallowed up, pun intended. And what I hope we can do through our journey this summer through the book of Jonah is look past the big fish And see the message of mercy that applies to all of us. A lot of people will discredit Jonah because of the whale. And the reality is that in, in the book of Jonah, the fish itself only takes up two verses. We spend a lot of time over a fish that takes up two verses. There's four chapters to be looking at and people will discredit the whole book because a man can't get swallowed by a whale and live for three days. But the reality is that's only one of many miracles that occur in the book. There's the miracle of a storm rising, a storm ceasing, a plant growing overnight, a bug being miraculously placed. We see the greatest revival seen throughout history happen. All these miracles are happening in the book of Jonah. And yet we get sidetracked by a fish. And so I hope we can redirect our focus as we look through the book of Jonah this summer. And Jonah is, it's a wonderful book. It's a beautiful book. Because it's written in such a way where it, it's satirical, it's, it's funny. You read it, you laugh at yourself. You, you, you find yourself looking at this man and you say, how ridiculous. And by the end, as you're laughing, you turn to the last page only to realize that it's a mirror and it's your face looking right back at you. It's a beautiful book that causes us to look at ourselves And to see how we are actually a lot more like Jonah than we'd like to admit. So... Before we jump into the book of Jonah, it's always important to understand a little bit of background, a little bit of context. Now, I know as soon as I said context, some of you got your pillows out and you're like, just wake me up when that's over, okay? It's not the most exciting part of studying God's word at all times, but the history and the context is extremely important because it helps us understand why the, why the, the people in the story are reacting the way that they react. It helps us understand how would the original audience have reacted to this story, knowing the context, knowing what was happening. And it helps us understand the story so much more. Have you ever started a movie and you are like 10 minutes late and you get there and you're just, you have no idea what's going on? You're just like, why is that guy wearing a bird on his head? That makes no sense. Well, if you understand the context, then suddenly things, the picture becomes very clear. So if we don't take time to understand when it was written, why it was written, where it was happening, then it's kind of like stepping into a movie 15, 20, 30 minutes as the movie has already gone on. You have no idea what's happening and what significant things are about to happen. So we're going to take a few minutes just to look at the context. And the first is understanding the date and the location of where and when Jonah occurred. And we get this little insight about Jonah and when he lived in 2 Kings chapter 14. And and the insight that we get from this is that Jonah served under a king named Jeroboam II. You don't have to write that down. But what you need to know is that gives us a nice little marker to understand that Jonah, the story that we read, was happening between the years of 746 and 786, or 786 to 746 B.C. And quick reminder, B.C. is before Christ, not before COVID, okay? (laughs) COVID was a big deal, but not that big of a deal. So, B.C., and, and so it happened at that, in that time frame. So we say 760 B.C. Where did it happen? Well, it starts in northern Israel. That's where the, our prophet Jonah was born and raised and where he lived and, and served. But it also takes place in the city of Nineveh, which is in, under the greater um, authority of the Assyrian rule. Now I have a a map up here and you can see where Israel is and where Jerusalem is to the west and then to the east along the Tigris River you have the city of Nineveh. It's about 500 miles give or take um, from Jerusalem to Nineveh. And so our story takes place mostly there. There's a little bit that happens somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea, all right, with the fish. But most of it, the focus is on Nineveh. So it's happening around 760 BC in Israel and in Assyria. Now, what, what do we need to know about Nineveh? What do we need to know about Assyria? At the time, it was a wicked city. Nation, And I don't mean the good wicked, I mean the bad wicked, the evil wicked, the sinful wicked. Assyria was notorious for being cruel to its enemies. The kings did unspeakable things, things that we won't even mention here, but things that we see in horror films that were commonplace in Assyria. And these things happened in Nineveh. It was a place that was so wicked, it came to God's attention and he said, I'm going to deal with this. We need to deal with this right now. Nineveh was not the place you would go to vacation over the summer. Nineveh was not a point of destination if you were not a Syrian. Nineveh was part of the greater kingdom, the Assyrian kingdom, that was conquering lands all around it, right and left. And they were brutally conquering those lands, I might add. So it takes place in Nineveh. Well, we don't actually know, have a clear picture as to who the author of the book of Jonah is. But we have a good idea of the audience, who it was written to. And it was written to Israel at a time right before they were about to be taken captive. They were, the the northern kingdom of Israel, the the prophets had said over and over and had warned Israel, you need to repent, otherwise you are going to be rebuked, you're going to be chastised, and a great nation is going to come and take you captive. And they were, the prophets were saying that that was going to be Assyria. There were prophecies saying that Assyria, this this great kingdom, was going to come and take you. And so the audience was likely the Israelites who saw Assyria closing in on them, ready to take over, ready to take them captive. So the book would have been um, been strongly received as the northern kingdom watch Assyria creep in and take its territories away between 722 and 735 B.C. And finally, there's a good brief context of the where and the when and the why. And I want to just mention some themes, some common themes that we find throughout the book of Jonah that we're going to be touching on so that we can be aware and we can be ready. One common theme that happens throughout the book is that of the repentant and the unrepentant heart. We get to compare and contrast throughout the book what someone who has a repentant heart looks like, what they do, compared to those who have unrepentant hearts. And it's not always the people that you would expect that are repentant or unrepentant. We also see this common theme that fleeing God is a downward journey. There's no other path. There's no other route. The the road that flees God only goes downhill. We also see this theme of the ungodly who respond to God. The least expected people to respond to God's call are those who actually do. But overwhelmingly, the main theme of the book is that God is a merciful God. I want to say that one more time because I don't want to lose that. God is a merciful God. That is the theme of the book. Not a fish. God is a merciful God. And that is what we will see coming up over and over and over again as we look through the book. Of Jonah. So if that's the theme, then we must ask ourselves, what is our response to a merciful God? And Jonah gives us a great example of what not to do. So as we look at this, we're going to look at the first three verses of Jonah today and get started on our journey through this book. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to read the first three verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, as we look into your word, we are asking right now that your Holy Spirit will speak into our hearts and, and into our minds. Lord, we need you to teach us. We need your spirit to teach us and and to convict us where we need the conviction. And Lord, encourage us where we need encouragement. But as we read this, change us and change our hearts so that we can be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verses 1 and 2, the first thing that we see is a rather common call. Just a common call the author starts out and he says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go. Nothing here is out of the ordinary, except that we get right to the point that the word of the Lord came. But it came to a prophet, Jonah. Now for this, I want to stop and I want to look back at that passage I'd mentioned before. Because Jonah is actually mentioned and referenced prior to this book alone, and we find out that Jonah was no stranger to being a prophet. In fact, Jonah was probably a very well-known prophet. And when he served, he was a prophet that many people would have loved and adored. In 2 Kings chapter 14, Verse 25, we get a glimpse into Jonah and his ministry before God called him to go to Nineveh. We read about King Jeroboam II who reigned in Israel. And we're talking about King Jeroboam II. It said that he restored the border of Israel from Lebhemeth as far as the Sea of Arabah according to... Uh, to the word of the Lord the God of Israel which he spoke by his servant Jonah the son of Amittai the prophet who was from Gethhepher, for the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter for there was none left bonder free and there was none to help Israel so this is significant because what we find out is that Jonah was a prophet to a, to King Jeroboam and he was the one proclaiming God's word, saying that God wants you to expand the kingdom. God wants you to expand the borders. Okay, now why is that significant? Well, I want, to, I want to look back at verse 24. Because in verse 24, we find out something about King Jeroboam II in the state of Israel. This is what it says. And he, King Jeroboam, did what was evil, in the sight of the Lord he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat which he made Israel to sin so why is that significant because we find Jonah, who, that he was a prophet serving King Jeroboam II, saying that even though you're continuing to sin in the face of God, even though you're continuing to lead Israel down this path away from God in sin, God is still expanding your border. Does that make sense to anybody here? If you were in control and you got to control what would happen to Israel, would you expand their borders as they are sinning against you? We have a word for that, people. It's called mercy. God was holding back the punishment that Israel deserved. And he was giving them grace by allowing them to expand their borders. So now picture this, imagine Jonah coming up to King Jeroboam and saying, God has told me to tell you that you need to go forth, you need to go into battle and expand your kingdom and he is going to bless that. Not a bad job, right? Jonah was probably pretty popular. Everyone loved him. Hey, this guy, he's given us a good message. He's telling us some good things. Everyone in Israel probably loved Jonah. The king Jeroboam, he certainly loved Jonah because he had this message of hope and this message of mercy. If anyone understood mercy, it was Jonah because he was proclaiming that to Israel. And so Jonah... Was no stranger to being a prophet. He'd been serving for years in Israel and he'd been proclaiming to his people, to his nation, that God wanted them to expand, even though they should have been punished. So Jonah understood mercy very clearly. Jonah delivered a message of hope and mercy to Jeroboam and the nation of Israel, and he found favor and success. In the eyes of his countrymen, so Jonah was called to deliver a message that he should have very well understood, and this this call was also common because God said, "Arise, go to Nineveh." A very similar phrase that was seen with all the other prophets when God called them, He would say, "Get up and go, get up and go." And and what is this call? We we see He says, "Go." into Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So what we see here is that God notices the world. In this call, God notices the world. His focus isn't just on Israel. It isn't just on his people, but it expands. And God says, listen, Jonah, I need you to go out from your countrymen, go out from your nation, and I need you to deliver a message to Nineveh, these wicked people. God is just as much aware of what is happening in Nineveh as he was in Israel. God is present and active everywhere, in all places, at all times, throughout all history. And this is significant. This is significant because we as people too easily become so focused on our lives and on what God is doing in our life. What God is doing in my house. What God is doing in my circle of friends. What God is doing in my church. What God is doing in my state. What God is doing in my country. We become so focused on us that the God of the universe somehow is always just thinking about us. But the reality is that God is aware and active everywhere. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited about what our church family is doing in missions and that we're focusing on missions around the world and, and in our neighborhood because when, when that becomes our heart, when that becomes our focus, it forces us to step out of our box and to recognize that God is doing so much more than what we see right around us. And it forces us to look out into the world to see that God is active and He wants His message of mercy and He wants his message of hope to go to everyone to all nations even to people who don't believe the things that we believe god is active everywhere all the time but in that god does not stand by and just allow things to happen he deals with things and in this case he's dealing with sin And I want to be very careful that we are aware and we understand God is not telling Jonah, hey, go to Nineveh, that great wicked city, and just, you know, forget about the sin. Let's not talk about that because, you know, it gets really awkward when you talk about sin. So Jonah, don't worry about that. You just go and tell them that God loves them. Sorry, that's not the message. Our active God who is involved says you need to go and preach to them about their evil. Because it has come before God and it is a stench. He says, go to that great city, call out against it for their evil has come up before me. He says, you need to let them know that they are doing evil and that they need to repent. There's a message there. God doesn't just sweep sin under the rug. It has to be dealt with. God's care and compassion are equal to his wrath and judgment. But the point is that God cares enough for the people in Nineveh that he sends a messenger of hope. So God gives a common call to Jonah to go, to go to Nineveh. And then we see his response. You know, side side note here, one of the big parts of our family life right now is baseball, okay? If you've talked with me at all, you know that our family, our boys, we're very involved with farm, uh, PLL, farm pitch uh, baseball. Okay, I'm coaching the team, and I love it. I'm coaching six- and eight-year-olds. And you know what happens when you coach six- and eight-year-olds? Anything. And one of the first practices you know, we're, we're like going through the basics. And, and I'll always remember one of the players on the team, what, you know, we set up the, uh, the tee, all right, because we're not going to be pitching balls on the first day of practice, okay? We set up the tee, and we explain, this is what you do. And this little player, he steps up, he's six years old. He swings, knocks the ball, you know, two feet ahead of him. we're like, run, and he starts running. And we're saying, yeah, the other way. He starts going to third, and it's like no you got to go to first. And, and and it was the opposite of what you expected. You explained everything. You thought you told the kids go to first and you did say that a number of times. So you expect them to go to first, but they don't. And it's not what you would expect to happen and that's what we see here. Jonah, don't go to third. Go to first. We've gone through this. You know this. So we have a common call, a person who's experienced mercy, and yet instead of going to first, he's running to third. We see an unexpected response. He says, but Jonah rose up to flee. And here he says, Tarshish, three times. And he says, to flee the presence of the Lord, two times. I have a map here, in case we're confused, of where Nineveh is and where Tarshish is. So, Nineveh is 500-ish, 550 miles to the east. And then we got Tarshish, 2,500 miles to the west. I think Jonah knew exactly what he was doing. And so three times the writer says, Jonah went to Tarshish, to Tarshish, to Tarshish. Say that ten times fast. It's one of those words that's like, is that really a word? But he just kept going in the wrong direction. Now, there's been a lot of prophets who hesitated at God's call. Most of the prophets, actually, when they heard God's call in their life to go to preach, to proclaim his word to the nations, a lot of them would pause and say, Lord, I am not worthy. Moses said that. I can't talk. Elijah said that. I am not worthy. Jonah is the first and only prophet to actually resist and rebel against God's call. Now, why was this? A lot of people think that Jonah feared Nineveh's repentance because it would eventually mean the destruction of his own people. Other people think that, well, maybe he was just plain old afraid. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, was Nineveh a nice place to go to? No. In fact, Jonah had been sharing this message among his own countrymen, among his own people and nation of how God wanted to prosper them and bless them despite their sin. And now he has to go into an evil nation, a wicked nation, and say, hey guys, you're sinning. You need to repent. How do you think that message is going to go over So, before we're too hard on Jonah, let's understand the context of what he's going into. But what's interesting, and spoiler alert, we find out that Jonah knew what God would do if the people repented. And Jonah, a smart prophet, also knew very well that the very city he was going to, the very people he was going to, were likely going to be the ones who would discipline and take Israel captive. So why would he go to Nineveh and preach the word? Well, he went in the wrong direction. So we learn something that past success does not guarantee future success. Past successful ministry among his countrymen, among his nation, did not guarantee his obedience going out and proclaiming God's word to the world who needed to hear about mercy. This is a point that I believe we need to understand as brothers and sisters in Christ. Just because we've had success in the past in the church, that does not guarantee our obedience to the world outside of us. Going away from God only goes downhill. Three times we see that, Paul, that Jonah was going to Tarshish, and the phrase that keeps coming is he went down to Joppa. He went down to the boat. And guess what? It's going to get even lower as we continue. When we flee God, the path is downward. Now, Jonah wasn't trying to get away from God. He knew that God was omnipresent, that God was everywhere. But to flee the presence of God is opposite as to stand in the presence of God and be used of his service. So to flee the presence of God was to walk away and to rebel and to not be used by God to serve. So then we're left with the question, what is our response? What is our response to God's mercy in our lives? We look at Jonah and we see that he was somebody who ran away from God's call, but the reality is that we have all been recipients of God's mercy, that we have all been called to go proclaim the message of mercy to those outside of our church, outside of our family. And yet we too willingly are comfortable with where we are at And we would rather keep our message to ourselves. We would rather curl up and sit next to people like with Jonah and say, aren't those people wicked? Aren't those people horrible? Aren't those people detestable? Man, I love talking about how bad those people are. When God is saying, go tell them of the hope and the mercy that they can have in me. We're Jonah. We need to go I just want to close with this question. Who is your Nineveh? Who is your Nineveh today? Who are the people in your life that you view you can't stand them? You detest them. You detest everything they stand for, everything they think. Their beliefs are completely contradictory to everything that you believe and you would rather just watch them suffer in their sin when the message that we have as God's children, as his messengers, is to go proclaim hope and mercy to the people who are lost and to who need it. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that we are a lot more similar to Jonah than we would probably like to admit. And because of that, we need your Holy Spirit to guide our minds, our hearts, and our thoughts to understand who it is that we might be trying to limit from hearing of your grace and of your mercy. I pray, Father, that everyone here this morning will be overwhelmed with the realization of how much mercy they've received from you, that we aren't here because of anything we've done. We are only here because of your mercy. You have withheld the punishment that we deserve. Please, Father, do not let us withhold mercy from those people outside of us who we disagree with. Let us be messengers of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.